heard across the Resonate Regional Radio Network. It's my time, it's my life. I hope you will come along. This is Rural Queensland Today with Ben Dobbin. Morning and welcome to Rural Queensland today. It's Tuesday morning, the 31st of May, the last day before winter, and things are starting to get cold. And remembering Thursday is when the Arctic blast turns up. Well, we said we'd keep you updated with the David Littleproud Challenge. This morning, we will speak to the new Nationals leader, David Littleproud, who will join us this morning on Rural Queensland today. He's not far away. Patrick Carrigan, that name Carrigan, very, very known throughout rural and regional Queensland. He's a Brisbane Broncos player, born in Gundawindi, moved to Brisbane, but he's made the origin his origin debut. I caught up with him yesterday for Rural Queensland today. And I also catch up with Michael Pugh, the Claremont local, who has done it all for us um, and walked over the weekend. So much to get through on this very, very busy Tuesday morning. Let's get into it. David Littleproud joins us. A very good morning to everybody listening to us through 4SB in Kingaroy, 4ZR in Roma, 4VL in Charleville, 4HI in Emerald, 4LM Mount Isa, 4LG Longreach, 4GC Charters Towers and the Hot Country Network. A very good morning to you. Ben.Dobbin at ruralqldtoday.com.au is my Email, you can get in contact with me there or wooshka forward slash rural Queensland today to go back and listen to any of our previous shows. It's a big day. It's rural Queensland today and David Littlebrow, the new Nationals leader, joins us next. Welcome back to rural Queensland today. We're going to start the show and look, this is a phenomenal, phenomenal thing to, to a person to interview. David Littlebrow is now the leader of the National Party after winning a ballot yesterday against Barnaby Joyce. He joins me this morning on Rural Queensland Today, the member for Maranoa. David, good morning. Firstly, congratulations. How terribly proud you must be uh, to be able to lead the National Party um, to the next election, which is just a phenomenal achievement and one when you were a rural banker and living out of Chinchilla that you probably thought you'd never, ever get the opportunity to. Yeah, mate, thanks. Um, look, this is uh, very humbling. Um, I effectively joined the National Party when I was six years old, handing out for my dad at the Chinchilla Courthouse when he became the member for, for Condamine, the state seat of Condamine. Uh, so I am the product of the National Party. I am all that is the National Party. And not only did my mum and dad make me who I am and the town of Chinchilla, but also the National Party. So um, to, to lead it is the highest professional honour I could ever have, um, and you know I'm humbled by it. I understand the gravity of it, and, and know that the challenges that lay ahead. But I'm prepared to do that. Have the enthusiasm and energy to do it. And we'll put together a team that will support um, our coalition friends, the Liberals, and Peter Dutton and I'll have conversations about that agreement soon. But um, it is humbling. It's it's, it's a great honour to represent the National Party, who they're to represent and be the conscience of rural regions of Australia, and to bring common sense to Canberra. Why did you challenge Barnaby? Look, this isn't a reflection on, on Barnaby's achievements at all. This is more about the fact of who was prepared to, to lead the party to 2025. Uh, and that was, the, the, in essence, why I put my hand up. We, we couldn't have a change of direction 12, 18 months uh, down the track. We, I felt that it was important that a leader that was prepared to stand now had to, had to lead us to 2025 and also their team. We couldn't change the team. The, the team that will be put together by myself will be one that I want to take to the 2025 election, not have to change it mid-course. I think that's important for continuity uh, to the public uh, and important to the National Party to have that certainty. So uh, that's, in essence, why I put my hand up. I thought it was time that the leader 
had to go through to 2025, I'm prepared to do that. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's why um, I came forward. It, it, it is a huge responsibility and, and one that would have weighed on you for some time. Were you confident going into yesterday's ballot that you had the numbers? Is that the reason you're challenged by the work that you'd done or is one of those things you never really know till you get to that vote? Yeah, mate, I, I, you never know. The only people you believe uh, in a ballot are the ones that tell you they're not voting for you. Uh, but I'd reconciled in myself um, that this was what was right. Um, there were times where I could have challenged before. I could have stood up, but I didn't think it was right. Um, I was deputy um, in the previous spill and, and probably could have stood up and didn't because I, I gave a, a public commitment that I wouldn't challenge the leader. And I think you've got you've to stick to your word. Uh, if you say something and you, 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 you've got to actually follow through. So I didn't. Um, this time I gave it some, some real thought after the election uh, and, and basically was, was comfortable in the fact that if I had lost, um, that I was still a member for Maranoa. That's the greatest honour you can have um, walking into this place for, first and foremost is to represent the people of Maranoa. So um, I, I was comfortable in that um, and, and, and knew that while I'm, I'm still relatively young, I intend to be around for a fair while to come and could live with the consequences if, if I wasn't successful. Will we ever know what the real vote was? Will, will that ever see the light of day? I, I understand that those numbers aren't public, but do you think that they'll ever get out? No, uh, they never will. The only people that know um, what the numbers were are the two whips uh, who counted the votes, and then the ballots are destroyed. So because there's only 22 of us, um, we, don't, we don't make public those numbers. Uh, we don't think that's responsible. Uh, because obviously um, you wouldn't oh, have to be mate, yeah. to work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so we've we've never had a culture where we've even we've even said what the numbers were. So, um, I've got no idea and I've no intention of finding out. David, let's start with Barnaby. Do you think you're going to have his support? And look, I mean, you supported Barnaby for a very long time through good times and bad. You were there, and whether or not in, in areas you agreed, you, you towed the company line, and you supported him. Do you feel confident that he is not going to be a hindrance to what you're trying to do um, in leading the National Party to 2025? Yeah, look, on Sunday night when I rang him and, and told him of my intention, we had a really good conversation and I made it clear to him that um, if I was successful, I wanted to draw on his experience uh, and, and that of Michael McCormack's and, and those in the party room that have, that have had more experience than me to make sure we nurture the next generation uh, of leadership, and, and I made it clear to him that I, I expect him, uh, if if I was um, successful, to, to accept some sort of responsibility that, to be part of that, and I think that's important because yep. ultimately this shouldn't be about an individual. This is actually about the National Party. The National Party is bigger than any individual, and you know this is what I believe is our responsibility as custodians of the legacy of those that have come before us. Is um, the rules of engagement are sometimes brutal, and it doesn't always go your way, and, and I understand the rules that I just signed up to and one day it won't go my way. But it's how you handle yourself after it and the the understanding that this is an honour to, to lead the National Party and, and how you deal with that after it is, is the most important thing because it's not about you, it's actually about the Nationals and, and I'm sure that um, when Barnum and I have further conversations about the role um, that, that I'd like him to play, I, I hope that he'll he'll be part of it. How was that received, that conversation? Like I know, and I'm... I'm, I'm not trying to get to the intimacies of what what was in that conversation, but was it heated? Was it a heated conversation? I mean, no one likes 
to lose their job. Um, did he understand that there was a need for change considering that Scott Morrison had, had stood down and that there was going to be a change in the Liberal Party leadership, that it was time for the National Party? Yeah, look, obviously, as you say, I won't go into the detail, but I've got to say, no, we've known each other before politics, Barnaby and I. Um, we were both in banking together out in Charleville and then in St George. Uh, so I've known Barnaby for probably 30 plus years. So we've known each other, we know who each other are. Um, and, it, and it's always been respectful. Um, Barnaby and I have always been respectful to one another. Um, he obviously had a had a divergent view to me about whether um, I should run or not, and I, I and I accept that. But it was we've always been respectful to one another, uh, and that will continue. Um, I think his legacy is one that that should be one that is celebrated, and I don't intend to tear that down. But I want to build on that, and as I made it clear to him, is that in no way, shape, or form is this a reflection on. On his performance, it's simply about who's prepared to run in 2025 to lead this party, and, and that's the reason that, that I put my hand up. It wasn't a personal reflection on him, and we, we had a really good conversation. And I was, um, you know, I was heartened by it, and I think what I tried to do was take away some of the vitriol that we've had previous in previous spills because uh, this isn't a midterm spill. This was what is part of the nationals' culture is that our positions are automatically spilled after every election, win, lose, or draw, and that our party room has that conversation. Um, and, and that was the respectful way that I decided to do it rather than you know, mid-term when uh, you know, that Barnaby was thinking of only going half the term. Sure. Um, so I didn't want to go through that trauma again. I thought now was the time to do it, and that was why what I articulated to him is I think now's the time to make the change, not in 12, 18 months' time, so that it was my team, not his team, that, that, that was starting this off and starting the, the policies that we want to implement. Our guest this morning is the new Nationals leader, David Littleproud. We're going to take a break on Rural Queensland today, come back, and we'll continue our conversation with David Littleproud. Welcome back to Rural Queensland today. David Littleproud, the new National leader, joins us this morning on Rural Queensland today. David, you, Perrin Davey is the National Deputy Leader. Can you just give us a little uh, bit of insight into why you went that direction um, for Perrin and and what she will bring um, to the leadership team of the National Party? Yeah, well, it was wasn't my decision. There were three that ran for the for the deputies um, uh, role, and and Perrin came through that ballot as the winner. Uh, Perrin uh, is is really National Party royalty. Her family um, are strong uh, National Party members that have been entrenched in the National Party and the National Party history for generations. Uh, Perrin is a very articulate woman that. Brings uh, a lot of a lot of credentials in terms of water policy and agriculture. Uh, she lives out in Deniliquin, um, so she's she's lives in the bush. She, she's a senator from New South Wales. Been there for three years, uh, and and I think this is a good mix to have um, a woman that's articulate, that's smart, uh, and is powerful. Uh, and I've got to tell you, if you hear Perrin Davy speak and, and talk particularly about things like water policy, um, I don't think there's there's a brighter mind in the country. Uh, than Perrin Davey. Uh, so, you know, she'll play a pivotal role. We've got some challenges that we're going to have to face up to with this new government around uh, the Murray-Darling Basin plan and trying to open it up after we put it all to bed. Um, and, and Perrin will bring some common sense to that, and that's what um, I think the party room saw in electing her as, as my deputy. Can, Dave, what's your relationship like with, um, with with Peter Dutton? Obviously, he's been elected the new leader of the National Party, and will you be looking to strengthen that agreement or distance yourself? How is that going to work, the relationship with the Liberal Party? 
Yeah, look, we've always had a transactional relationship. Old Peter and I um, are mates and been good mates, being Queenslanders. Um, when you come down to Canberra Wall in Queensland, it might be the LNP. When we get off that plane, it becomes tribal. Um, I come into my tribe, which is the Nat, because that's who I am and what I am, and Dutto's a lip. Uh, so while we're mates, uh, this is business, and we'll, we'll nut that out. And I've had an initial conversation with Dutto yesterday about um, some of the things that will be lines in the sand that the Nats can't cross. And, and might support, and there'll be times where we might have to agree to disagree, uh, and we're not afraid to do that. Um, we'll do that in a respectful way. We'll be cogent in our argument about why we have a divergent view, if that if that's where we get to. But I, I'm pretty confident from from what I know of Peter Dutton that I think Peter Dutton um, has an understanding of the bush, and will and will have that understanding that I think is needed in the Liberal Party. Uh, and, and we understand that they have a different constituency, and, sure. and that's that's fair. But I think Peter will bring that pragmatism, that common sense to it as well, and understanding of the Nats, and, and I'll be constructive with him in, in how we do that. And we're, we'll have some more discussions over the coming couple of days about what our agreement looks like and what those lines are in the sand that the Nats can't cross. I, I'm just going to say, the Courier-Mail this morning's leading with that your sensible approach to you know, a net zero target by 2050 has caused fear already in your party. Now, there's no two ways about it. There was a green shift across Australia in the last election. And I don't necessarily think that it was because people wanted to support the Greens. It was the lack of, in a lot of ways, understanding just about where the Nationals and the Liberal Party stood on on climate change. Now, I'm not saying that we haven't addressed it. I think we've addressed it countless times, but we didn't sell it well enough that we had made the change. Now, obviously, that's one of your key, I suppose, ideologies is that you, you are front and centre agriculture and rural and regional. Let's not and, – and your whole whole belief is about bettering regions for Australia, yet we haven't been able to sell that message. Is that one of the big key challenges that you face now in the next three years is to make sure that our friends in the cities – our people who understand it, like in the seat of Brisbane, in the seats of Melbourne and stuff like that, understand that we are adapting, we are wanting the change and things are going to change for the better. Yeah, and look, um, you know, it's disappointing to see a colleague who hasn't got the courage and conviction to put their own name, but you don't have to be Agatha Christie in the National Party to work out who, who makes those comments. There's only a very few. Uh, but reality is, is um, you don't win elections chasing extremities. You actually win elections talking to the sensible centre using common sense. And we signed up as the National Party for Net Zero uh, because it, had we not, um, this is an international problem that was being thrust upon us. And you've got to understand your place in the world. We're only 26 million people and we don't set the rules, but we need to trade with the world. And let me tell you that had we not, capital markets, both private and public, were factoring up close to 3% extra on your mortgage. Everyone was going to pay that because we hadn't made the international commitment that every other country had. And you were also going to get less for your commodities. So what we came up with was a sensible plan about technology and carbon capture storage. I've got four coal-fired power stations and the biggest developed reserve of coal seam gas in the country. So that was an eminently sensible policy to say, let's use technology like carbon capture storage technology to reduce emissions in traditional industries, look for new industries that create new jobs, and make sure that it wasn't a taxpayer that had to pay for all. It was about leveraging taxpayer money with investment because I personally don't believe we have to go and mandate or legislate anything on this. Australians do it by themselves. 
if governments come in and, and put the big stick in, that says they don't trust the Australian people. We had a target of 26 to 28% reduction by 2030. We're going to hit over 35% by just letting Australians do their own thing. So why should the Australian government come in with a big stick and come in with taxes and say, this is what you must do, must legislate? I back Australians and they'll do the right thing. We understand our place in the world. We understand we've got to trade with the world. We're, you know, we produce enough food and fibre for 80 million people. We're 26 million. So we understand what's right and farmers know what's right. And they're doing the right thing. And they should be rewarded for it, not penalised. And that's what I fear is that this new Labor government may go towards things like vegetation management. That's been in their policy standings for a couple of elections around national vegetation management laws. Um, you shouldn't you shouldn't put that on farmers. They'll, they're doing the heavy lifting themselves. So... That's the sort of stuff that we need to make sure that we can articulate. And particularly, I get I get these people in metropolitan areas have this ideology, and many of them can afford it. But what I want to be able to do is explain to them that while they might be able to afford it, the real human impact... Not everybody else those, can. Yeah. yeah, and the real human impact on those people who live in regional Australia, whose jobs are lost, uh, who, who are paying high prices for their energy and can't afford it, that's what I think. It's great to have the ideology, but I just say to those people in, in capital cities, just take a, take a little deep breath, come out and understand. We are trying to understand you, but you've got to take a step and to understand us and understand the human toll of ideology uh, that's been thrust upon us at a speed that can have impacts. We're not, we're not against what you're trying to achieve, but you've just got to understand that sometimes the prag- practical application of it can hurt. And, and we should be doing this together, not just because someone wants a warm, fuzzy feeling. Is your relationship with Anthony Albanese, is it good, bad, okay? Where do you stand with the Prime Minister? Yeah, I spoke to um, to the Prime Minister last night. He rang me to congratulate me. I, I get on very well with the Prime Minister. Um, he and I and Pauline Hanson and a couple others had a had a delegation to India a couple of years ago, and we've struck up a friendship from that. I respect him. That's a good thing. I respect him. That's a really it good is. thing for for the National yeah. Party and for Australia. The fact that you have a relationship with the Prime Minister is so important. And, and I've made it clear. In fact, he rang me uh, the week before the election and, and wished me all the best um, in the election, as I did to him as best I could. And we, we understand we're on, both, on different sides, but I respect him as a, as a human being. He's a decent bloke, a good fella. Um, and what I've said to him is I want him to try and understand regional rural Australia. I'd, I'd like him to come out and, and I'm happy to, to take him wherever he wants to um, so that he has an understanding that we're not the forgotten Australians, which is what's happened previously. And I, I don't try to tear people down um, down here um, because I did know there was a day like this coming and, and my job is to get Maranoa's fair share. And we, we did pretty well while we had the keys of the checkbook. But now I've got to try and work with the government to make sure we continue to get investment, not just in Maranoa, but in, in all our regional seats. And you can only do that if you treat people with respect. Uh, and that's what I'll continue to do with the Prime Minister. Um, we, we do have a friendship and I respect him sincerely. I don't agree with his politics, but, you know, that's not a bad thing. Uh, you know, we don't have to hate one another down here. What people want is just outcomes. And if I can get outcomes uh, through Anthony Albanese as the Prime Minister, then for my people, then I'm prepared to do that because this isn't about me um, ever becoming Deputy Prime Minister or this is about the people of regional rural Australia getting a fair go. Yeah, well said. We are so happy that you are leading the National Party. You've been a friend of this show from its infancy and a friend of mine. Mate, we really appreciate it. I know a lot of people listening today are just so happy that David Littleproud is leading the National Parties and we know that there's going to be change. Thanks for being with us this morning. We really appreciate your time. Anytime, mate. Thanks Good for on having you. me. Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. We'll take a break. Pat Carrigan up next.
Welcome back to Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. One of the great stories of yesterday's announcement for the Queensland Origin side is Patrick Carrigan. His name is so well known, the Carrigan name in rural Queensland, and Patrick, no different, was born in Gundawindi. His parents obviously moved to Brisbane. He was captain at Gregory Terrace, and he's since gone on and paved his way for a great career at the Broncos. Now he is officially uh, a... Queensland Origin player, named in the 17 to take his place in that Origin game, game one of the State of Origin series, next week. I caught up with him yesterday for Rural Queensland today. Here is Patrick Carrigan. Pat Carrigan, how good, mate. Congratulations. Uh, Tell us about that phone call last night from Billy. Yeah, it was weird, eh? I think um, Bill probably thought I was a bit of a mute, I reckon. I just... um yeah, I think all I could say was, yeah, I was shocked. Eh? Um, but, yeah, it was, it was everything you dream of as a kid, so I was, um, yeah, st- ecstatic. What about your first phone call to the parents straight away? Yeah, um, I was actually with mum and dad. I went over for dinner and um, threw the phone away because everyone obviously texts you throughout the day saying, have you got a call or this? So I didn't have it. And then, um, yeah, then and just got lucky, looked down, and the phone was ringing, and I was with mum and dad, so it was pretty special, yeah. Can I ask this? Do you put Billy Slater's number into your phone just in case so you know that number so you can answer it, or was it a, a number that you'd never heard or seen before? No, it was an unseen number, eh? so I um, I didn't have bills in there. But, you do um, now? Yeah, I do now, which is pretty cool. But, yeah, man, I reckon I was shocked. Eh? I just, I don't know, one of those moments where you pinch yourself but you can't really get words out, and I think I just said yeah. So, um, yeah, we've had a few good chats today, me and Bill, but I reckon he probably thought I was a bit of a mute last night. Yeah. Mate, what about, um, I mean, you talk about last year, ACL... You just wanted to get back on the field and play for good footy and then get back into the starting 13 for Brisbane and yet now you're playing Origin. I mean, it can happen so quickly, can't it? And the form of your club side, it also goes a long way to, to pushing your credentials as well. Yeah, mate, for sure. I think the biggest thing I probably am grateful for is the club form we've had as a team and, and the boys that I play with week in, week out have probably helped me get here. So, um, yeah, there's probably periods there where you obviously have goals like these ones, but you run into a few hurdles and, um, yeah, just try not to feel sorry for yourself. And, yeah, mate, I'm pinching myself. It's unreal to be around some of these boys and um, a lot of good mates here too. So it's you would have special. played a lot of junior football, like rep junior football with a lot of these young blokes. Yeah. And so you know them. But also, can I ask about being coached by Bill and and, and John Owen and, and Cameron? Did, have you had a lot to do with them in in, in your football career? No, nah, I haven't. Hey, not um, in terms of being able to learn off them or pick their brain. But I um I remember I, I captained the Bronx for that that 2020 year and got to do a toss against Cam and that was pretty surreal then so it's pretty surreal to be coached by him now as well but um, yeah it's crazy we spoke about where we're heading up to Sanctuary Cove and I remember junior rep stuff where we'd go down there and oppose them and now you know you're on the other side of the fence where the boys ride down on their bikes and that's pretty um, pretty crazy moment where you pitch yourself but yeah I'm just they're greats to the game mate and any kid just would love to sit in the same room and just listen and um, yeah I'll be doing a lot of listening that's for sure. I think about your story mate you're born in Gundawindi and your parents make a massive sacrifice for you and your career and they move to Brisbane and, and, and you come here like I know you represent the state but more importantly you represent your family does that resonate with you like what next you know next Wednesday night in Sydney your family will be down there Mate, you're on the bus, you're staying at the park roll at Parramatta, it's it's real, and then bang, she's on. Do you get time just to think and reflect in this moment, like before this week of craziness starts, just how far and how many sacrifices your parents have made that you're here? Yeah, it's nuts. Hey, um, 
I think that's probably the, one of the main reasons that when you go through good and bad times, your family are the ones that are through through the thick and thin, and um, they live and breathe every moment. So my old boy's birthday is actually um, on the eighth of June, Wednesday night. So um, how good? Yeah, I didn't even I, didn't, I obviously know his birthday, but I didn't know it'd be the Wednesday. So um, mum told me that, and um, yeah, it's pretty funny how the world works. But um, I owe everything to my parents, like all these boys here, grateful and to two younger sisters and. Um, they sacrificed a lot for driving me to footy and that as a kid and um, yeah it'll be special. What about Selwyn mate um, great story um, to make the start so just a phenomenal story to make him and I mean Oatsy misses out he could have been there equally as well it's been that strong yeah um, he's good I, I love Sel I always say it he just says he's Selwyn Cobbo and um, just does his thing and I loved. I would have loved being able to listen to his phone call with Bill as well because he probably would have been a bit like just me. Thank you. And, yeah, thank just you. thank you. Yeah, yeah. And ready to go. But um, yeah, I'm super happy for him. He's a tough kid who's um, had a little bit of going on at the start of the year, but managed to have a really good preseason and play awesome footy. And um, you know, Oates probably a bit unlucky not to be here as well. But I know he's probably just as ecstatic for Selwyn. He's kind of done a bit of mentoring for him and helped him along the way and just taught him the ropes of first grade and um, even what it's like to play for your state. So um, the best thing about I think the Bronx at the moment is, um, yeah, the, the boys were all super happy for us and um, just we want success for everyone. So I think that probably translates to how we're going back at, at the club at the moment too. I was thinking about you guys today. I mean, you, you, were, you were one of those blokes who went through the hardest time here at this at the Broncos. So by no means this season is far from over, but you, you, you sit, you know, you go into the bye and you're in the top four. It's not as it's not like you're there, but you must feel rewarded that from the hard work that it's finally turned. You can hear the club, you can hear the crowd, the, the buzz in Brisbane. Do you notice that as a player how everything's turned around? Yeah, that's probably the biggest thing I noticed. Um, 2020 was probably a tough year and at the lowest we've been as a club. And, um, you know, I took the lows pretty hard. having done a bit of the leadership stuff without Lexi and to be able on the, on the other end of the spectrum. And, you know, we've only taken a few small steps in the journey we want to be on, but um, it's awesome. People wearing Bronx jerseys out everywhere. You know, Caxton Street's going off when you come to the game. Um, little things that you or you heard your parents talk about as kids or anyone who followed the Bronx are starting to come back and um, you know I think a few of us feel, probably feel a bit responsible for what happened in 2020 and that's always a constant reminder that every time we go to training or we come out here in front of 40,000 at Suncorp that you, you leave get them leaving with a smile because um, you know I think about I was, I was probably I was probably a part of those few which um, years where were, people are probably a bit more upset so um, you know, I'm, I'm just loving footy and I think that's feeding into what we're doing on the field and um, also how we can uh, make the city of Brisbane feel too. Good on you, mate. Best luck for next Wednesday. I'm so happy for you. Cheers, brother. Thank Cheers, you, mate. Queensland side have a luncheon today and then it's game on from a training perspective. Billy Slater doing a phenomenal job and uh, the, today is all about uh, getting around and, and obviously being presented to the community then they're straight down to Sanctuary Cove where they begin their preparations. We'll have more uh, updates and more interviews throughout the course of the week. But how good a bloke is Pat Carrigan and how happy are you for him? This is Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Welcome back to Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Michael Pugh joins us and this is off the back of, we talked to Michael uh, at the end of last week, ahead of what was a huge and unbelievable fundraising exercise uh, for Cancer Council Queensland. Michael and his Townsville-based mate, Wes Graffin, uh, attempted to tie a hike an entirely <laughs> entity of a rugged, remote and beautiful volcanic peak range. Uh, this happened last weekend and then with a big dinner culminating 
in Claremont at the end of it. He joins us to wrap it up. Michael, good morning. How are you, mate? Morning, Dobbo. How are you? We're very much in the recovery mode, mate. <laughs> you are. Are you sore? <laughs> oh, the feet are a bit sore and worse to wear, but I mean, the, the human body's not um, not designed to hike 100 kilometres through the through the volcanic formations of central Queensland in a weekend, but it was all for a good cause, mate, and we we, uh, we, we achieved it. We hiked 102, it's actually 102.4 kilometres or something, 53 on the Saturday from the uh, Gemini Peaks to the middle section of the range around Lord's Table Mountain. And then we um, didn't get in until well after dark, uh, got up really early, camped out near Lord's Table Mountain, got up really early again on the Sunday and we hiked the middle and um, southern section of the range from Lord's Table all the way down to Lowestoft Road, uh, clocked up another 49 and a half K or whatever. So just over 102 kilometres altogether for the weekend. And, mate, we couldn't be more wrapped with the support and the um from our communities across Claremont and Townsville. The donations are still coming in. Where At the moment, we're up to $6,244 raised for wow. Cancer Council Queensland. Wow. Uh, and look, mate, it was a it was an immense challenge, but, you know, it's one that we're, um, we'll never forget and one that we're sort of we're glad we've achieved and, and sort of to, to bring awareness to the cause, mate. So talk to us. You, you wanted to sleep out there and wake up at a certain position so you could actually take in the view. Did you get to do that? We did, mate. It worked out. Look, we were slowed up a bit, and, and what sort of um, what was the biggest challenge across the weekend was what we call the black soil bog. So, oh, you were worried about um, that, yeah. Yeah. After we after the uh, heavy morning dew, and particularly after the recent rain and a lot of that sort of remote country over the last few weeks, uh, you know, the ground out there when you're hiking cross country it can be like walking on the, the sand at the beach, you know, in the black soil. So we uh, yeah, we, we sort of made a few little alterations throughout both days to get where we wanted to be, trail-wise, that is, because obviously it was a cross-country hike, no trail, so we sort of, it was on a trail that I designed using satellite imagery to, to hike the range. So we had to make a few little changes and some challenging areas, but we got to Lord's Table Mountain just on sunset, which was um, absolutely stunning to see that. And then there's some beautiful imagery and videos at the moment on the event pages that Wes took of um, what was probably the most spectacular um part of the hike and what made it well worth it for us was hiking out of Mount MacArthur just on um, sunset and dusk with that beautiful sunset and reverse sunset over the southern section of the peak range on um, on Sunday evening. Uh, it, was, it was absolutely stunning, mate. And, you know, we were we were on autopilot well and truly by then, but, um, you know, that sort of really, <laughs> really uh, made it worthwhile. Yeah, and it would have. Okay, so you... You get through that and you head back to Claremont for this celebrationary dinner on Sunday night. How were you received when you got there and, and what are the figures that you're at at the moment? Mate, the dinner, we didn't actually make the dinner, to be honest with you, because we finished too late. The dinner was at six o'clock and we didn't get back to Claremont until about half past eight that night because we still had, uh, we finished late and we still had an hour's drive to get back to um, to dinner. So by the time we got back to the dinner, we met up with a couple of the Cancer Council representatives from Rocky and that that had come in. Yeah. And they were um, they were having a, having something to eat and that there, so it was quite a um, quite a short stopover for us to be honest with you. But um, we we were sort of pretty keen on by that time of getting home and getting out of the boots and um, sort of we barely walked into the pub actually that night. <laughs> as soon as we'd been in the car for an hour, we didn't want to get out. But um, yeah, we sort of um, the reception was in the donations, mate, and across the comments and and um, and the everything. If you read through the comments on the Claremont community page, the hike and explore pages and the event page itself I mean there's some massive support there and um, you know like there was 
I think three of the donations we received were over a thousand dollars. Wow! So, I mean, when people are when people are putting that much money, donating that much money to something, I mean, it just goes to show how passionate not only yeah we are about completing it, but also the community is about that cause and it's something that is quite um, I guess raw out here in Claremont after the tragic passing of the late Councillor Lynn Jones last year, and yeah, and we have um, two other members of our community um, at the moment that are battling similar um, serious stages of cancer. So look, it's um, it's it's sort of yeah. It's, I think I think we've done our communities and our, our our town out here in that proud, and I know that the media attention that it's received by people such as yourself as well has really helped push that message. So people that didn't donate, um, or people that have just followed us and, and for whatever reason haven't made a donation, they're still you know it's still in the back of the mind at the moment. You know to to get checked or you know to be aware of of, um, of cancer and what it can do and. And um, no, I think it's, we've uh, we've done well, mate. Oh, there's no doubt you've done well. Can I ask you this? And your whole time, what's the next challenge? Because I, I feel like you and your mate was. <laughs> I, I don't think that you're just going to lay down your tracks and go, oh, okay, we've done this. What, what what is next in the on the horizon for you to take on? Well, <laughs> last year we hiked seventy one point two kilometres in nineteen and a half hours. This year it's one hundred and two kilometres in in um, what was it twenty four. 24, just over 24, 24 hours and 39 minutes with a break, obviously, a few hours sleep in the middle. Um, the next challenge we haven't really thought about yet. I think we'll give the give the, um, give the the boots and the feet a bit of time to rest. I mean, I we both hike regularly out here in central Queensland with the, the Central Queensland Hike and Explore Group and my, my group in Townsville, which is the Townsville Hike and Explore Group. But as for the, um, the massive charity hikes, yep. we haven't really thought about that yet, but I'm open to suggestions. So if anyone... <laughs> Uh, from any charity is um, looking to raise a bit of money, uh, uh, preferably not over the next couple of months, but at some time in the future, um, if they need a hand with that, we're always willing to set ourselves a new challenge to help our, to basically do what we love doing to help our community. So we love our bushwalking and hiking and, you know, if we can set ourselves a challenge to, to help raise money for those organisations or not-for-profits in our community that really need it. We're happy to do that. So open a suggestion, Bobo. Yeah, uh, great news story. Really appreciate your time this morning, mate. Uh, thanks so much for being with us. Not a problem. Thanks very much for helping us spread the word, mate. Yeah, appreciate and congratulations, it. Michael. Uh, what a great story um, and well done. I, I tell you what, it's the last thing I would have done. I would have had a charity dinner, and, you know, raffles <laughs> or something, but, you know, put your body through a lot and that speaks volumes of yourself and, and your mate and, and obviously raising much-needed money for cancer research, we'd need to continue that messaging. Uh, Michael Pugh, we'll talk to you again, mate. Thanks so much for being with us. Going to Dobbo. Thanks, mate. Well done to all the community at Claremont as well. This is Rural Queensland today. That's it from us here this morning at Rural Queensland today. I hope you've enjoyed the show. We're back tomorrow morning from 9am. Ray Hadley joins you next. Have a great day, Queensland. And from all the team here at Rural Queensland today, it's bye for now.